Welcome to the podcast. In and Through exists to equip the church to be hearers and doers of the word. My name is Tim. And my name is Marshall. All right, here we are ready to go. This is going to be the wrap-up of numbers. Just to let you know, we're going to stop a day short. Uh, the last day of this week's readings is going to be the first and second chapter of Deuteronomy. But just to sort of keep things together, to tie a nice little ribbon around things, we're going to uh, finish up a little short. But uh, here we are, ready to go. Yeah. You got a cup of coffee with you this time? I do, yeah. Feeling cup, a little confident? I do. It, you know, like it, like the nerves of recording have sort of subsided, and now you're pro, and you just bring a coffee with you. And That's right. Yeah. Got my mug, my sweater. Oh, shout out to Heritage. Got my little ceramic mug they hooked me up with. Yeah. Um, they're not they are not an official sponsor. Where's of this my podcast. coffee? Um, associate. <laughs> associate. Is that my job description? Pastor. It is somewhere. <laughs> Fetching coffee. <and laughs> <laughs> no, we have an intern. We do. Yes, we do. So it's not even on. So on the days that Sam is here, that's right. He then it, then it, your job, that job of fetching my coffee. <laughs> that's right. <laughs> that's not true. <laughs> Just so no. everyone knows, no, I do not require Marshall to make coffee. In fact, I made coffee yesterday. For you everyone. did actually. Yes. Yeah. Servant leadership, Pastor Tim, getting it done. And Carol made coffee for us today. She did actually. Shout out to Carol Morton. Yeah. <clears throat> yeah. All and right. We we got to hurry. Yes. Sorry. Yes. We, we got to hurry because Vicky was telling us that she listens to uh, this on her way to work and it's exactly her commute. And when we go long, she has to sit in the parking lot yeah. and finish the podcast before she can go into work. And we don't want to make Vicky late for work. That's true. So yeah. getting to it, we are starting in chapter uh, 22 and running to the end of numbers today. Mm-hmm. So let's talk forests. Yeah. Forest. Well, uh, one of the things that, I mean, you brought up and you can elaborate a bit more on this is just the idea of holiness, um, which you've already mentioned is, you know, a separateness um, kind of being brought into a greater dimension, I guess, put it being put into practice. I think the expression you used is holiness getting teeth. Right. Because I so we've seen in, in the ceremonial laws, right, the, the sacrificial offerings, the burn offerings, the wave offering. Yep. Which is a bizarre thing. Sure. Right? Like you just see them just sort of like in this thing, you're just going to take it and you're just going to wave it fan around. it back and forth in front of everyone. Yeah. And it's that's, less that's weird. That's the wave offering. It's less weird if you, like like I I did, kind of grew up kind of in and around Catholicism because mm-hmm. they like to wave stuff around too. It's, so yeah. It's, it's not as strange for, you know. I grew up Baptist and it's strange for It's me. very strange. Yeah. Yeah. Wave and don't wave hands either during the music. That's nice. <laughs> 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 Sorry, everybody. <laughs> Not true. Uh, and so so when we look at these things ceremonially, we watch these things take place, right. and there's this holiness and this set-apartness and the way that they worship, and and we can kind of see that, but there's also a very practical life application of what it means to be set apart and to do different things mm. than what the world is doing around you, right. and to be uh, not— we use the phrase in the world, but not of the world. Mm. Uh, but what it looks like on a practical day-to-day basis to live differently and to not be infiltrated and assimilating uh, with the world. Assimilation means to to take on the characteristics of those that you're surrounded by, mm-hmm. right? Um, and so, so that is that is a a difficult portion of the next bit of the Old Testament, mm-hmm. that that fight against assimilation to be set apart. Right. And we see that really starting to take place here. 
and we see that there there are practical things that we have to do to be a people set apart. Yeah. And so so we begin with uh, Balaam. Yeah. People love Balaam. Balaam. People love Balaam because they love the story of his, of the donkey talking to him. It's it's a highlight. It, it is. is. Yeah. It is. Yeah. Uh, there's there's a little more going on here than just that. True. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, a big part of this discussion, um, and the, the three chapters that kind of recount the story of Balaam, who is commissioned by the king Balak to curse Israel, is really what is the roles and responsibilities and function of a prophet. Right. Right. Is it just someone you hire to do things for you because they have some kind of supernatural sensitivity? Or is there something a little bit more specific that, you know, that entails having the gift of prophecy? Right. So we talked about this last time that the the two roles of the priest and the prophet need to be distinguished. Right. So the Mm. the role of the priest is that he speaks to God on behalf of the people. And the role of the prophet is one who speaks to the people on behalf of God. Right. Right. And so that is what a prophet does. Balak doesn't understand this. Yeah. Uh, and, and I think the way that Balak misunderstands this is very instructive for us today. Uh, Balak feels like the role of a prophet of God is one who speaks things into existence. Right. Whose words have power, who is able to say, uh, I'm going to bless and curse in such a way as to cause these things to come about because God has given me a superpower. Right. Um. But instead, Balaam shows us very clearly, although he doesn't do it perfectly, right. but he shows us very clearly the role of a prophet is not to bring things about or to speak things into existence, but to say, like it or not, thus says the Lord. This is what he has to say. Yeah. Yeah. No, I, I, I completely agree. Yeah. And this is something that, I mean, obviously is frustrating for Balak, right? I mean, he, he comes into this exchange like, look, I, I'll pay you whatever I need to pay you. Just curse these people. I don't want them coming into my land. And Balaam's like, you you don't really get it, do you? Mm-hmm. Like that's that's not that's not how this thing works, right? I mean It almost goes green eggs and ham on us, right? Like, well, what if you were standing over here? Right. Then right. would you bless my people? Yeah, yeah. Well, what if you stood over here? Yeah, would you bless yeah. my people? Would you curse them on a train? Would you curse them <laughs> on a plane? Like, no, no, I can't. I can only speak the words that God has me to speak. That was right? a terrible analogy. No, it's no. I think it's good. I like roll with it. I mean, I just read that book like two days ago to my right. to my daughter, who, I mean, is not yet at the phase where she even appreciates books. But I appreciate reading. We, we've got to give Alex an edit button. No, no, no. All right. So, so he he tries to pay more. He tries to relocate him. Yep. Anything that he can do to persuade the prophet to change these events, mm. not understanding that the prophet's role is to say. This is what God has determined, and I'm just here to announce that to you. Mm. Right. So, so throwing money at something doesn't change God's mind. That's not how that works. It doesn't work. <laughs> it doesn't work. It oh. doesn't work. Oh, what and, do you know? Uh, and, and then there's there's the even so this this story is sort of like an episode in in and of itself. But yeah, the episode within the episode is uh, Balaam traveling in on his donkey. Yeah. Yeah, uh, I love it. <laughs> the donkey is more spiritually aware than the prophet. Yeah, I mean, donkeys are like known for being like stubborn, obstinate mm-hmm. animals, right? Like, I mean, let's be let's be honest here. There's there's a reason why the archaic word for donkey is synonymous, you know, is used for difficult people. And the ironic thing is that yeah, this this stupid donkey has more spiritual sensitivity than a king or a prophet. And not only that, he has more reason. 
Because yeah. he says at one point, he's like, is this the way I normally act? Yeah. <laughs> no, it's not the way you normally act. Well, then don't you think that something is else going is going on? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> right? So so not only is it like spiritual sensitivity, but it's it's reason and logic. Mm-hmm. He out, out-reasoned by his donkey. Yeah. Love it. All right. After Balaam. Yeah. So after Balaam, we get the story of Baal worship at Peor. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, so yeah. now we see... Israel slipping into the idolatry of those who who they live with and uh, and the con- significant consequences for that kind of idolatry. Right. So so God brings consequence mm-hmm. in a plague. Mm-hmm. And at the same time, God calls the people of Israel to bring about consequence. Right. Uh, by slaying those who would connect themselves to uh, the worship of Baal. Yeah. Right. And this is one of those examples that I was saying that that shows us that that there is a practicality to what it means to set ourselves apart. Mm-hmm. Right. Sometimes what we want to get into in these kinds of things is like, well, we want to be very careful of legalism. And that's true. Right. But being careful of legalism doesn't mean that you do nothing. Right. You don't do nothing because you don't want to end up in legalism. Mm-hmm. Right. Mm-hmm. You do what God has placed on your heart to do. And what he has spoken in his word for you to do, mm-hmm. and you don't run it to the end of legalism. Yeah, yeah. But you still have a responsibility towards that end. And and here we see this responsibility. One thing that I, I want people to understand is Israel is a physical covenant. The first covenant is a physical covenant. Uh, we see this represented in that a physical people is called to a physical kingdom, which is the promise of God to bless them physically. Sure. As a representation of what he is also doing for them spiritually. Mm-hmm. And when Christ comes and fulfills the law, he shows us this truth and then calls us to be a spiritual people, understanding that it is toward a spiritual kingdom and for a spiritual blessing uh, in a way that we don't see the same kind of physicality. This is this mm-hmm. is why those who are in the word faith and prosperity gospel lean so heavily in the Old Testament. Sure. Because they need the Old Testament text to support their position because the Old Testament is a more physical uh-huh. covenant than the covenant we live in now. Yeah. Right? And so here we see a physical coming against of the worship of false gods in a way that we need to understand spiritually, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. right? This yeah. is why church discipline matters. Yeah, because the holiness that God is concerned about is not just simply an individual holiness. There's a corporate element to that holiness, right? So when, when individuals within the group, with, when, when individuals within the nation of Israel fall into sin, that has an impact not just on them individually, but also on the whole congregation, Right. And so that 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 same principle is is true even in our current context. Yeah. Th- this is why Paul spends so much time when he's talking to the church in Corinth yeah. saying, hey, listen, there is uh, sexual immorality among you and it needs to be that the people, mm-hmm. not just the sin, mm-hmm. but the people need to be rid yeah. of your you need to rid them from the church. Yeah. Right. You need to move them on outside of the church. Praying that as you have turned them over, mm-hmm. uh, in his words, turn them over to Satan, yeah. uh, as you have turned them over, that they would repent and come back. That is always the goal, is yeah. that they would be uh, that they would be made aware of the consequences of their sin and would come back in repentance to the church. Mm-hmm. Uh, but if not, mm-hmm. the other goal is to protect the church 
from that sort of assimilation. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, and that's a that's a serious it's a serious thing, and one that we don't really like to talk about in our you know modern church context, being kind of welcoming for all people and in all situations. But you know the reality is is that Scripture is clear. There are certain situations that need to be addressed. Sometimes you know there, there's a proper process to go through things as Christ outlines. But once you get to a certain point, I mean, you got to come down with a heavy hand at times, right? Always with the end goal of bringing them back into repentance, but. Um, we can't shy away from from these difficult things because I think the church, the modern church, is hurting in a lot of ways and is struggling in a lot of ways because they are unwilling to take that step of of biblical church discipline. Right, and and I think the idea is that in a very individualistic way, we feel like the most loving thing to do is to reduce the sin or turn a blind eye toward it, uh, and and forgetting that that what is happening is that that is infiltrating then the whole church. Yeah. Uh, and, and so the reason the reason that God comes against this here is that he doesn't want this to become a commonplace. Right. Right. The, the very first commandment is that there would be no other gods. Yeah. Right. And so that another God has come into the worship of the people. He wants to be rid of that. Mm. And so uh, for the protection of the people, that they would maintain the covenant and receive the blessing that God has given to them. He is protecting them by being rid of this. And and so we operate in this very individualistic thing where we think so much about the person, the individual, that is going to uh, feel that they've been isolated or pointed out or, or that they're going to have their feelings hurt or, or whatever it is that we forget about the hundreds of people also in the church that are now confused. Right. Do we not stand against sin? It, too, is it not a sin? Right, right, uh, and 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 those kinds of things that that cause those the greater number of people mm. uh, to run the risk of falling short of understanding what it is that God has called His people to and what it means to be a follower of Christ. Mm. Uh, and so, in, in the way that you would quarantine a person with a with a very contagious illness. We do that. That person feels isolated. That person feels alone. That person receives the care that they need in order to be brought back to health. Yeah. But at the same time, we quarantine them for the health of society. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And and the same thing happens here. And then and then after that, we we get into a lot of uh, so numbers has this great sort of interplay of giving us narrative story. Right. Uh, which is redundant. It gives us narrative, uh, <laughs> and and at the same time, it's also going to give us laws and census and those kinds of things. So mm. uh, after 25, we get into uh, the census of the new generation, which tells us uh, the previous generation died, mm -hmm. but the numbers didn't dwindle. Yeah. Yeah. God yep. continued to bless them. They re regenerated those numbers. Yep. Uh, they made up for it. A lot of the end of last week's session and this week's session is how the death took place in the wilderness. Right. Um, but looking at it numerically, they're they're about where they began. Yeah, yeah, yeah. about 600,000 or so, right? Yeah. So, yeah. Um, yeah, and then we get um, an example in 27 with the daughters of Zelophehad. Essentially just, you know, laws have been put in place um, in regards to inheritance, and then a situation comes up that is a little out of the ordinary, and mm -hmm. so it's kind of like, okay, well, what do we do with this? And kind of, um, you know, just it's just a good example of, of situations coming up that aren't necessarily always um, explicitly. We don't have explicit instruction beforehand in how to handle, and so it's taken to the Lord, and uh, and it's dealt with. So, yeah. yeah. So the the law is very strict, but not so rigid that it doesn't understand that life happens. Yeah. 
Yeah, yeah. I think that's that makes, that's a fair way to. It it makes those uh, those it makes space for those exceptions. Yeah. yeah. Uh, after that, we get into a a, a bit of law uh, mm-hmm. issues on offerings. Yeah. And how those things are going to take place. Mm-hmm. Uh, issues of vows, the right. difference between uh, the vows of men, the vows of women, uh, and and. You know, the the, the law and, and the census and, and all this kind of stuff. And, and later on, there's going to be a section on the journey and how the journey took place. Right. I, I said this a few podcasts back, and I think it's good to be reminded. The, the Bible's not necessarily trying to be a New York Times bestseller right. in, in that it is the most interesting story at this point. Mm. What it's trying to do is to set up a history and show us how it is that God— is, has brought about his will through his people to this point. Yeah. Uh, and so are we going to read it and be riveted? Are we going to be able to pick this up and be like, you know what, I'm, I'm going to put that on my calendar, and I'm going to, I'm going to write that out in a, in, you know, on a Post-it note, and I'm going to put it on the bathroom mirror right. because it really speaks to my heart. Yeah. You know what, there are going to be passages here that aren't, that, but that's not their intention either. Right, right. Yeah, and I think the developing the, the historicity of the nation of Israel and, and, and going into great detail of wh- who they were and where they went and what they did um, lends kind of gravity to them being, you know, this is this is a, a real people who existed in real history who, you know, who we can look to as an example, um, not necessarily as an example to follow in most cases, but as an, an example of, of what it looks like to try and often fail to live in a covenant relationship with God. Yeah, and, and I think it's also important to remember we're not the first generation to receive the Bible. Mm-hmm. And uh, this has been going on for thousands of years Yeah, that these words have been propagated. And so the the original audience who received this these books would look to it and they would see their family name. Right. And they would see themselves written expressly written in that promise yeah yeah right? that's a good point and, and so so don i i was in a, a bible study once we were working through uh second kings i think it was and and it seemed like week in and week out people would make the statement so this is what it is i don't know what that means to me mm-hmm. um and and after a while i just got to thinking maybe the bible's not about me oh what do you know <laughs> yeah yeah and you know what though that's that's you're you're absolutely right and and I think that's something that a lot of us come to a realization of a bit too late. I know for me, it took a it took me a long time to realize that like not every single passage and verse and, and situation was directly applicable to my life. Right. Right. And, and more often not, it was you know the, the primary question I think we need to ask ourselves when we open up the text is what does this say about God. Mm-hmm. Right, and that's the primary question that needs to be answered. Not to say that the Bible has nothing to say about us as individuals. Of course it does, but uh, but kind of breaking away from our kind of egocentric culture, um, our cultural understanding, and saying, okay, I'm not the center of the universe, therefore I'm not the center of the Bible, and so let's read it in a in a fresh way. And and even in understanding what this says about God, a lot of times we get into the uh, the New Testament epistles, mm. and verse after verse teach us something about God. Right. right. Like we're working through Ephesians mm-hmm. as a church right now in the sermon series. And and in Ephesians, you could almost go verse by verse and say this teaches us something new about God. It's oh, yeah. very theologically dense mm-hmm. uh, at times in the Old Testament. 
there are going to be chapters mm-hmm. in entire books of the Bible that are teaching us one new thing about God. Right. Right. So it's not going to be uh, that every verse. Sometimes it's the body of work that is showing us something about God. So we need these portions in order to understand the body of work, and we need to uh, not feel like we can sort of microwave this uh, story of God right. and his redemption story, yeah. but those parts that are intended to be cooked in the slow cooker mm-hmm. need to be given their time. Sure, sure. I think the the reading style that we're doing with this uh, this reading plan lends itself well to kind of that 30,000 foot view looking at like the majority of an entire Old Testament book all in all at once. What's going to be tricky <laughs> come the fall is getting into the New Testament where there's <laughs> where how are we going to summarize, you know, three epistles, I don't know, but we'll... Yeah, so we were looking at the last week in December. Oh yeah. Uh, the last podcast is supposed to cover 2nd Peter, 1st, 2nd, 3rd John, Jude and all of Revelation. Yeah. Yeah. Those those are going to be trickier podcasts. Yeah. Yeah. So uh, so that is that is to say that there are going to be part of these that you find yourself struggling to read. But remember, all of Scripture, which includes discourse on vows between men and women mm-hmm. and the track that they followed in order to move through the uh, the desert mm-hmm. or the wilderness on their way to the promised land. Mm-hmm. All of Scripture is God breathed yeah. and useful. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Uh, so we give it we. Although we we read it differently, we don't give it a lesser place. Amen. Yep. Uh, let's talk about Reuben and Gad. Yeah. In, yeah. In chapter thirty-two, so they they're approaching the boundaries of the promised land. Yep. So so a significant amount of time takes place in this week's reading. Uh, somehow forty years transpires pretty quickly. Yep. Not a whole lot talked about during that uh, that time. They are moving to the boundaries of the promised land, Mm -hmm. getting ready to enter into this thing that God has been promising them for hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of years. And Reuben and Gad say, this looks nice. Maybe we'll just stay on this side of the river. Yeah. I'm sure it's great. I'm sure the promised land's great. Yeah. But uh, this is good, too. Yeah. We'll just— Good enough. We'll hang out here. Yeah. Uh, And you know what? The interesting thing we were talking about, the interesting thing, the Bible doesn't condemn it. Yeah, God's anger is not kindled against I it. No, that's the weirdest thing. You expect you expect fire to fall, like you expect the ground to open up and just like swallow up, and it's like, and that day the whole tribe of Reuben and Gad died. But it doesn't happen. No, it doesn't. Moses it, does push back a bit, though. So I think I think Moses feels the same way that I feel about this. Mm-hmm. Like, I, to be honest with you, I read it and I think the wrath of Tim was kindled against them. <laughs> right. Okay. Right. <laughs> sure. Because yeah. I I want them to just. I, I want them to just say, this is what God has for us, and whatever it is outside of that is insufficient, and I want only what God has. Mm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, maybe there's something of personal reflection that needs to take place inside of that. Maybe I'm speaking condemnation upon myself. <laughs> uh, but for them, for them to be so close, hey, right. you got to at least go in and take a look around. Right. Right. You got to at least go in and but let me ask you this it would it be worse for them to go in and look around and say hey looks great but there was that spot outside that sort of transjordan area mm. I think I'm going to go back to that would that be worse than saying we're not going in at all Yeah maybe 
I, it's funny. I for whatever reason I've got this like image of like house hunters in my mind. Sure. Yeah. You no, I, I, mean? I feel the same way. Yeah. And it's like it's like there's like there's the community you want to actually live in, and then there's kind of like, you know, the secondary option that's a little bit more affordable. You know maybe outside of where you really want to live. And so the first house you go see isn't even where you're really wanting to go. And you're just like, yeah, you know what? This is good enough. Mm-hmm. It's not in the community we want. And, you know, it doesn't have all the updates and it's, you know, it's not as nice, but this is good. Like we're not even going to bother going to see the other houses. It yeah, just it, seems weird. So to me, it, it to me, it feels like they settle. I think Moses feels that he accuses them of doing the same thing that uh, the spies did yeah. and not wanting to go in. Yeah, uh, He seems pretty set back and confused by mm-hmm. why they would do this. I, I feel that same way. Uh, but it it almost seems like their argument is not, I could settle for this, but I think this is going to be better, mm-hmm. right? Like this, w- mm-hmm. they have the, the livestock and everything. They say this is good yeah. area for, for livestock. Yep. And this, this seems like what we need. Right. Um, hmm. And, and, you know, like we said, God doesn't come against them. No. Nope. Moses doesn't condemn them. Mm-hmm. Who am I to condemn them? I guess. Yeah. But it doesn't sit well with me. Yeah, that's fair. I mean, at least, I mean, th- there is the condition that they will still send their fighting men across the Jordan to, you know, to clear out the land for the remaining tribes before returning home. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, that's kind of the caveat that's worked into that, that, you know, maybe makes the difference. Right. Right. They're still participating in the calling that God has for them to take the land. Right. So Moses is very clear to say, so you're not bailing out on us. Right. Yeah. You're not just calling it quits and saying we're going to camp here. You're still going to go in. Maybe mm-hmm. maybe there's a part of me that hopes that while they're going in and doing the whole conquest thing, they're going to be like, ah, you know what? Oh, man. That could have been mine. Right. Uh, but but at the same time, they're like, no, no, no. We, we intend to be a part of the conquest that God has. Uh, but when it's all said and done and everything's finished, we're going to come back. Right. Yeah. Yeah. It's yeah. it's peculiar at the least. It is. It is. So I think the one thing that we need to kind of talk about as, you know, as this land has been cleared for Reuben and Gad and as, as the rest of Israel prepares to enter into the land of Canaan, and we get these passages of, of like, you know, the Lord's vengeance on Midian. And, and soon we'll see, you know, the Lord's vengeance on the other Canaanite peoples trying to understand what's this really about, right? Like, why why is it that God is, um, why is he calling the people of Israel to destroy these nations so completely, right? And I think to our modern taste and, and our modern uh, perspective, it seems excessive, mm-hmm. but I think it's because we don't really, we don't really understand what is going on here? Yeah, and so what I would do is I would call the the reader, the listener, back to Genesis chapter fifteen. Okay. And in Genesis chapter fifteen, it's the uh, starting in verse thirteen. It says this: Then the Lord said to Abram, "Know for certain that your offspring will be sojourners in a land that is not theirs, and will be servants there. They will be afflicted for four hundred years, but I will bring judgment on the nation that they serve." And afterward, they shall come out with great possessions. As for you, you shall go to your fathers in peace. You shall be buried in a good old age. And they shall come back here in the fourth generation. For the iniquities of the Amorites is not yet complete. Hmm. 
So the Amorites, the, the people of Canaan, uh, these people that are going to be removed to make, make room for the Israelites to possess the land, what we don't want to assume is that they are extras in the story of Israel entirely. To, yeah. some, to some degree, there is in the biblical narrative that kind of a feel. But God is doing something with the Amorites. He is marking their sin uh, and, and in some ways revealing himself. You know, not to be a spoiler, but as we get into the conquest, uh, there are those cities that they go into, Jericho, for example, mm-hmm. where people say, we have heard of your God. Right. And we have heard of the mighty wonders of your God, and for that we are afraid, right? Uh, so the Gibeonites use that as a means for making a pact right. with them. Uh, that is how the uh, the two spies that go into Jericho are rescued by someone who has heard of the Lord and fears the Lord. Yeah. Uh, so there is something of the knowledge of the Lord that is taking place in these areas, and they are being held accountable for their sin. And there in Genesis, God says... I am giving them opportunity, and they have that opportunity, and it is not until that opportunity is revoked from them that I am actually going to give you possession of the land. So whatever it is, I'm not going to pretend to know how God is speaking to them, Mm -hmm. but whatever it is that God is doing with them, there is a stated fairness Hmm. of of God saying, I am giving them their time. That time is up. Mm -hmm. They are continuing in the worship of false gods. Uh, and for that, they are being punished. And as they are punished, the people of Israel, who are in theory going to be the faithful ones, uh, theoretically. To, their, <laughs> theoretically, to the <laughs> proclamation of the name of God and all those kinds of things, are going to be brought into the land. Uh, so so there, is, there is this sort of difficult exchange of why all these people, but these people are also facing judgment for their sins. Mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. And so it's a difficult thing, mm-hmm. uh, but we we don't need to pretend. I think sometimes we do this. We say, uh, you know, all of these are real stories. You said that earlier. These are historical people. These are real stories. But then we want them to be something other than real. We want them to all go nicely into this little box of good guys, bad guys, and, mm-hmm. and that sort of a thing. And and it, life just doesn't work that way. Yeah, You don't work that way. I don't work that way. Uh, it's messy and it's complicated. Uh, and there are all these shades of gray kind of thing that takes place in the heart of man. And, and I think this is another one of those opportunities to see that inside of Scripture, that we have these people and they've rebelled and they've rebelled, the, the Israelites, yet God has chosen to use them to make great his name. And then there's a people who have also rebelled against God and God mm-hmm. is bringing judgment against them in order mm-hmm. to uh, bless his people for his name's sake. And uh, it, it's a bit of a messy thing. I'm not going to pretend like it's yeah. not. Uh, but this is what a sovereign loving God has chosen to do. Yeah. And uh, and so they are to go in and remove them, one, because this is judgment on th- their sins. Right. And two, because once again, they want to resist assimilation. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, it's important. And I think, I like what you said about it being it being a messy thing, because even in in the text that we're reading, like, it it is a messy thing. Like, it's acknowledged that it's a messy thing. So insofar that, like, the 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 men who go out to battle as they return are they're unclean and so they have mm-hmm. to go through the requirements of you know ceremonial purification 
in order to return back into the camp. Because even in even in fulfilling this calling, the idea of like having to take lives in order to do that is still right. When we were discussing this earlier, you know, we were talking about being acting within the mess and the uncleanness of this world sometimes just renders us unclean by extension in some way. Right. Mm -hmm. Like, and so, and so, you know, there's, it's even within the text, it's like, okay, this is a, this is a messy thing, right? This Mm -hmm. is not. Yeah. Anyways. So for Vicky's sake, we need to uh, wrap up highlights. Highlights. Um, Phineas with the spear. Yeah. That's pretty, it's pretty hardcore. I'm going to say like it, it. Okay. Here's the thing. Here's the thing with Phineas. I mean, it's, it's a bit gruesome. Uh, but you know, the guy that he would have so much zeal for the Lord and be so upset by what is going on that he would just literally take it into his own hands. Um, I'll, I'll leave the details of that story. It's, uh, yeah, it's pretty gruesome, but it's also, I don't know, just an interesting moment in the reading. Yeah. He doesn't, he doesn't sort of waffle one way or the other. He just goes in and says, this is what you've asked me to do and I'm going to do it. Yeah. 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 Yeah, I, I would say this this isn't going to be the, the greatest violence. So in reading the City of Refuge uh, section, I, I really appreciate the practicality of God saying sometimes accidents happen. Sure. And people are going to react emotionally. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and so what we want to do is create a City of Refuge where people who have accidentally killed people are going to be brought to a safe place. Mm-hmm. Uh, but then I think this is one of those things where communities uh, sort of, rise up and they're like, okay, I understand this needs to happen, but why my town? Right. <laughs> <laughs> why do, you know, why, so you read this and people are like, oh, City of Refuge, that's a great idea. Yeah. Wow, what, that's gracious. That's good. Yeah. And yeah. they're like, and it's going to be located in? Yeah. And, and then all of a sudden you hear this little portion of the crowd go, oh. Yeah. It's like when, it's like when, when, you know, people find out that there's going to be, for example, like a homeless shelter built in their neighborhood. It's like theoretically, they're, they're fine with that being built. It needs to be built. But yeah. I don't really want it next to my house. Or prisons or whatever. Or prisons right? or whatever. Like yeah, these, exactly. These kinds yeah. of things that people are like, oh, well, what about my, you know, resale value and all that yeah, kind of yeah, stuff. Yeah, exactly. And, and so you read about <laughs> these cities of refuge. Great. Uh, maybe I don't necessarily want it in my town. Yeah, yeah. And and I don't want to pretend like everyone in that town is here for the same reason. Yeah. But we ha- also have to understand there is a portion of the population that are here because they are accident prone to the point that someone else has died. Yeah. And I just wonder, would Mr. Moranger... <laughs> Charge extra <laughs> insurance premiums for people living in this town. Yeah, seriously. Like, what is it? What is your insurance cost in yeah. a town like this? Because yeah, because the the possibility is there. Yeah, you got the most negligent citizens of society all kind of in one in Just one a thought. place. Yeah. Just a thought. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's great. Thanks for listening. This podcast is a resource of Memorial Baptist Church in Stratford, Ontario, and is produced by Alex Walker. Have a good week. Take care, everybody.